morning. Welcome to Holy Week. Uh, this, is a, this is like the high point for us as Christians, as believers, the week that we celebrate Jesus' salvation. And uh, the Bible gives it great emphasis. When you read the Gospels, which are the four accounts of Jesus' life in the New Testament, about one-third of, of the Gospels are spent on this last week. Jesus lived for 33 years, and so much attention is given to this week. And so we as a church give great attention to it as well. We're going to have a great uh, Good Friday service, Friday night at 7 o'clock. I would love for you to come and join us as we worship the Lord together. And that's a, that's a more uh, somber service as we remember Jesus' death on the cross. And then Easter morning, it's all it's all energy. It's all celebration. And so we gather together for breakfast in the morning and come out and get some pancakes and eggs and it'll be good stuff, sausage and, and everything. And then we'll gather together for worship and it will be a, a great, great day today. And it all kicks off uh, week next Easter, but it all kicks off today on Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday is the first day of Holy Week. And so this morning, I want us to ask the question, what's the deal with Palm Sunday? What, what's, the, what's the big deal? Why is it that Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey? What does that mean? What did that mean for the, for the crowds that gathered along the side of the road to shout Hosanna? What does that mean for us in 2023? What significance does that have? Does it have any uh, real meaning in our lives? So today we want to consider Palm Sunday, and we want to recognize the importance of it for our lives. Let's go before the Lord and ask him to teach us today. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you that we get to gather today on Palm Sunday, and as we enter into the, into, to the Holy Week, God, we thank you for all that it means for us. We remember that ultimately this week is looking forward to Jesus' death on the cross so that we can have forgiveness of sins, and then three days later from, uh, to his resurrection from the dead, which shows that we have new life in you, that you have had victory over sin and death, and we thank you for that. We thank you that you are our Savior. We thank you that you are our risen Lord. And now today, as we consider Palm Sunday, we thank you that you are our King. You are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We thank you that you rule over this world and over our lives. We pray that as we open up your scriptures today, that you would come and speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So on this Sunday, almost 2,000 years ago now, Jesus entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. And as he did, the people lined the streets to shout his praises, and they waved palm branches. Now, I just want to point out that though we might not fully understand it, there was a lot of significance and meaning in everything that was taking place on that day. And Jesus uh, intentionally entered into Jerusalem in a very specific way. Now, he could have just walked into town and come with his disciples, but he intentionally went out of his way to go and get a donkey that he could ride into town on. He sent two 
of his disciples ahead of him while he waited on the Mount of Olives until they went and got a donkey that had already been prepared. Someone, somehow, uh, in some way, this had all been orchestrated and set up, and this donkey was just as Jesus said it would be. Uh, the disciples found the donkey, and they brought uh, the donkey to Jesus so that he could ride into town, into Jerusalem, on this beast of burden. Now, Jesus was doing th- something very significant that I think the people would have recognized during that day. He was mirroring, by riding into town on this donkey, he was mirroring something that would have been taking place on the other side of the city. Because every year at this time, the emperor of Rome, who at that time was Pontius Pilate, would have rode into Jerusalem during that week, because this was Passover week, the high holiday for the Jewish people. And, the, and Pontius Pilate would always come into town, not to support, the, uh, to support the Israelites, but so that they don't get any wise ideas. Because the Israelites, as they gather for the Passover celebration, they're remembering the most important salvation event in their lives up until this time. It was the, how God had delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. They had been in slavery for 400 years, and they cried out to the Lord, God, deliver us from this slavery that Pharaoh, ha- and that Pharaoh continues to oppress us with. Bring us out. And God sent Moses as a deliverer. And Moses went before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. And, uh, and God had hardened Pharaoh's heart. So over and over and over again, Pharaoh said, no, you guys are my slave. And God sent plagues one after another. And after each one, even though it was terrible for all the people, uh, Pharaoh continued to say no until the last one. The last one was the most severe of all of them. The last, uh, the last uh, plague, which we call Passover, because it was during that plague that the firstborn of every household was put to death, except for those who had the blood of a spotless lamb painted on their doorframe. It was really a foreshadowing of what would happen this week on Good Friday of Jesus' death and resurrection. But Pharaoh goes, uh, but, but the Israelites are delivered from slavery in Egypt, and now they celebrate this year after year after year, and the emperor doesn't want them to get together and uh, begin to get any ideas. Hey, we were once in bondage, and now we're under Roman oppression. Why don't we cry out to the Lord and, and, and rebel against the Roman Empire, which is over us now? Pharaoh doesn't want to make sure that, wants to make sure that that doesn't happen. So what does he do? He, he comes into Jerusalem and he comes in in a display of power. He rides on a war horse with all his cavalry uh, behind him and all the soldiers and the horses. And he comes in and he, uh, and he demands that the people line the streets and praise him. Now, Jesus, in many ways, mirrors what's going on on the west side of Jerusalem because the emperor, Pontius Pilate, is coming from Rome. On the east side, where he comes from the Mount of Olives, uh, he rides another animal, but but it stands in stark contrast. The emperor's horse represented power and authority, 
And the dignitaries especially lined the streets because they wanted a piece of what the emperor had to offer. They wanted some of that wealth. They wanted some of that status. They wanted some of that significance. They wanted what the war horse represented. But Jesus rode in on a donkey, which symbolized humility and gentleness. And the people weren't coerced to come and to line the streets, but they went there willingly because they saw something very different in this Jesus. This Jesus doesn't come to set up a reign through, uh, through power and oppression, but through love and gentleness. You see, Jesus comes into Jerusalem as a king, as a ruler with authority, but he comes and he wins that authority in a far different way than, the worldly, than, the, than a worldly kingdom would win it. You see, Jesus comes in and he makes a statement. He's proclaiming himself as the king, the ruler of the universe, but his kingdom is going to look radically different than the emperor's kingdom. We read about this in Matthew chapter 21. It says, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village at once and uh, go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with the, her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says to you, say, uh, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will return them right away. You see, Jesus uh, intentionally wants to get this donkey to, to ride into Jerusalem. It has all been set up. He wants to make a statement to proclaim himself as the, the true ruler, that his kingdom is coming in to this earth. It's breaking in. Not only has this set been set up for days and weeks in advance, but this has been set up for, uh, going all the way back to the prophets of old. In fact, the next verse goes on to say, this took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet and then it quotes the prophet Zechariah saying, Say to the daughter Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt on the foal of a donkey. Jesus comes as the king, representing a far different kingdom. In fact, it says that this, he's coming in riding on a donkey, and it says that this is a gentle donkey. This is a gentle way of coming in. He comes in as a king, and his kingdom is far different than the worldly kingdom. In fact, it's far different than the kingdom, the world's kingdom that we see all around us right now. This is a world that is still focused on power and prestige and wealth and all of those things. And Jesus is calling us to come and to line up on a different street than the, the street that represents the worldly kingdom. He's calling us to come and line up on a street that is, that is full of love and the fruit of the Spirit, really. As we go through, as we've been going through the book of Galatians, this morning we come, because in many ways this is still meant to be a continuation in our study of Galatians, we come to uh, two verses that describe the kingdom of Jesus most beautifully. The verses are Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. I just want to emphasize as clear as I can, that's the kingdom of Jesus. This is what it looks like to live in relationship with Jesus. That Jesus comes and he fills our hearts with love and joy and peace and patience and, and all of these things. And then as he comes and he fills our hearts with those things, they begin to flow out of our lives. That's fruit. Our lives bear fruit. They, they give testimony to, they, they show love and peace and, and these things begin to come out of our lives. But I'll just emphasize that that relationship with Jesus is not done in our own strength. It's the fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one that comes and, and does those things in our hearts. When Jesus has forgiven our sins, when we place our faith and our trust in him, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And as the Holy Spirit does, he fills us with the fruit of the Spirit. So all of this is a salvation, that we have been, been saved from sin and, and death, and we've been brought into new life. That idea of salvation is proclaimed by the people as they line the road leading into Jerusalem. Picking up again in Matthew 21, verses 8 and 9, it says, A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees. This is something you'd do for dignitaries, for, for royalty. And they spread them on the, on the road. The crowds went ahead of him, of him, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. The son of David is a messianic term. Hosanna to the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna literally means save us. It's a cry for deliverance. Now, surely the Israelites, as they gather along the side of the road to welcome Jesus into Jerusalem, had in mind that, that God would save them from Roman oppression. But we also recognize that God's salvation for us is primarily a spiritual salvation that takes place in our souls. That when God saves us, he forgives our sins and he fills us with the fruit of the, of the Spirit. So we continue to cry out, Hosanna, save us, uh, free us from all these worldly temptations because they bombard us constantly. A temptation to give in to the world's kingdoms again and again and again. But Jesus comes and we, and we cry out, Hosanna, save us from these things and fill us with the fruit of the Spirit. You see, this is why you were created to live. You were created to live in Jesus' kingdom. You were created to live a different kind of life. Your life is not meant to live, be lived in pursuit of all these worldly things. Our lives are meant to be lived in relationship with God, full of love and joy and peace and all of these things. As the crowds came and uh, began to worship Jesus in this way, the Pharisees got really riled up. 
You see, the Pharisees were basically in bed with the emperor. They loved the emperor's power and prestige and all that he had to offer them. And they got riled up and they said, Jesus, tell these people to be quiet. Tell your disciples to shut up. And what does Jesus say in response to them? He says, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. In other words, all of creation has been created for the sake of giving Jesus praise and glory. And that is why you have been created as well. This is your purpose. You think that all the things of this world will satisfy your hearts? No, they won't. Pharaoh, uh, uh, Pilate enters into Jerusalem with a lot of promises. You come and worship me and align your life with me and you'll have worldly wealth and power and status. But guess what? Pontius Pilate's uh, promises are never truly fulfilled. The only thing that will satisfy us is the promises of Jesus and his Holy Spirit when we, when we line our lives up with him. Now all creation will worship him one way or another. The stones will cry out. But how much better if we were to do it? that God would receive glory from our lives. And so we glorify him, not just with our lips and what we say, we glorify him with how we live in the way that, we, uh, in the way that, that God's life comes out of us. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now at my home, I've got a ton of fruit trees. I've got uh, orange trees and lemon trees and lime trees and grapefruit trees and avocado trees and persimmon and uh, tangerines. I got a lot of trees, front yard and backyard. One day I got to count all these trees. I got a ton of trees. I, what, what's that, Dawson? Out of avocado trees? Uh, <laughs> that's Dawson's favorite, uh, the avocado trees. So we've got trees all over the place. And, uh, and most of these trees I don't have to do a lot of work with. I just trim them, but they're mature trees. I planted a few of them, but a lot of them were there when we bought the house, and so we're blessed like that. But uh, the, a lot of these trees produce tons of fruit, almost more than we can eat at times. And, uh, and so I've learned that there's only two reasons why one of my fruit trees wouldn't produce uh, fruit. One is they're too immature. Like I, I planted a lime tree last year, and it's still not big enough to produce any limes, but I'm hoping in a year or two, I'll get some limes on. So it could be too, uh, too immature, but it also could just be that the tree is unhealthy. I had a tangerine tree a couple of years ago that the bark kept falling off. I couldn't figure out what the disease was. I, I tried various things, but it kept getting less and less fruit until it eventually just died and I had to cut it down. But a tree doesn't bear fruit unless it's immature or it's unhealthy. And in our lives, I, I would say that we can look at our lives and we can see where we are at with the Lord by the fruit that is in our hearts and that comes out of our lives. And maybe you would say, you know what? I recognize in my life that I don't have the kind of love and joy and peace and patience that I should have. And, and maybe that's just because you're immature, You've never grown up in your faith. Maybe you're a brand new Christian, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've never really taken the time to cultivate your relationship with God. Or maybe it is because you're unhealthy in your relationship with God. No matter where we are at, this is all a challenge for all of us to grow deeper in our faith, to take our 
relationship with God more seriously so that our lives experience all that we were created for, that we experience the fruit of the Spirit, that, we, that, our, that our lives are a demonstration of who God is, that, it would, that, that this, this is what is coming out of our lives, all of these things. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the opposite kind of life is described in Galatians 5 just before the passage that lists the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians 5, 18 through 21, it says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, we see that in our world. Impurity and debauchery, idolatry, which means we put anything before God in our lives. And witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, Selfish ambition, does, does any of this hit home with us? Dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you as I did before, now get this, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, this is set up as the kingdom of the world in contrast to the kingdom of God. As I said, J Jesus enters into Jerusalem from the east side of the city. The emperor enters into Jerusalem from the west, and, uh, and it's taking place at about the same time. My point is, you can't line up on both streets at the same time. And the same thing would be true in our lives. You can't live in the kingdom of God at the same time as you're living in the kingdom of the world. And so Galatians will go on to say, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And this is what God is calling us to as followers of him, to crucify the, the flesh, the sin nature, the sin and, and, and all those things of the world, and to choose Jesus. And so this is where we are at today on Palm Sunday. It's almost as if we are at a fork in the road. And we have uh, one of two paths that we can go down, but we can't go down both of them. And so my question for you this morning is, which path are you choosing to walk on? Do you choose to, to, to line yourself up with the ways of the world, or are you choosing to line yourselves up with the way of Jesus? Now, one path, the way of the world, leads to destruction and to death. It will not save your soul. In fact, your soul will be left empty and hurting. But one path leads to eternal life. On Monday of this week, we got the terrible news of another school shooting, right? And uh, we're like, how many more of these can we have? But for some reason, this one really hit home. Not for some reason, I think for obvious reasons. This one really hit home uh, for me because uh, at this school in Nashville, Tennessee, which was connected to a church there, the name of the school was Covenant School, uh, one of the victims was the lead pastor's nine-year-old daughter. And so you can understand why, as a lead pastor with an eight-year-old daughter, I, I, could, I could put myself in his shoes, and man, my heart broke. In fact, I was Tuesday or Wednesday, of the, I was riding in the car, and more and more details were coming out, and I just had tears in my eyes as I think about this pastor whose daughter was killed. 
I was so impressed with the response that the pastor gave to the media and then eventually to his congregation because he said something to the effect of, even though we're grieving and our, our hearts hurt, we have peace because we know our daughter is in heaven now with Jesus. Now, that's a peace that the world can't understand. That's a peace that, uh, that Philippians 4 calls a, a peace that transcends all understanding. You see, that's, that's the kind of thing that we experience when we live in Jesus' kingdom because he makes all things new. Now, the kingdom of the world, I just have to be clear with you, it will end in death. Not only, not only does the school shooter represent that kind of an attitude, but I recognize that most of the time it's not going to lead to that kind of destruction, but it does lead to destruction within our hearts. Our hearts are filled with hate and envy and jealousy and all of these other things when we're on the path of the world's kingdom. That's the kind of thing that uh, those that lined the street to welcome the emperor experienced. They wanted more. It was all envy, it was all jealousy, it was all self-centeredness, and that is the kingdom of the world. Jesus represents a far different kingdom. He represents a kingdom that will ultimately lead to eternal life. You see, in, Jesus, in the worldly kingdom, they eventually put Jesus to death. But three days later, he rose from the dead. Jesus' victory is always ultimate. Jesus always has the last say. And so that is what we celebrate here on Palm Sunday in this Holy Week. It is the victory of Jesus that love will triumph over hate. Now, as uh, the emperor enters into town in Jerusalem and, uh, and Jesus enters into Jerusalem, both of them are set up almost as victory parades. The people line the streets, they come in in a parade in a sense. Now, we in L.A. love a good victory parade, right? Hopefully, in a couple months, we will have a Lakers parade because if the Lakers win the championship, they get to go down uh, the streets of L.A. A couple years ago, the Rams got to do the same thing. If the Clippers win... I don't know, they've never won, but I assume they get a parade. Uh, if the Dodgers win, they'll get a parade. Even though I remind us, the last time they won a few years ago because of the pandemic, they not, never got a parade. So they need a parade this year, right? We need a victory parade. Now, not every year uh, uh, do our sports teams get a parade, but every year we do get a parade, the, most, the biggest parade in the whole world in L.A., and that is the... Rose Parade, right? The Rose Parade has been going on for I don't know how many years, many decades. What is it? It's probably like 100 years or something. It's been going on a long time. Now, there's three things that take place in every Rose Parade. First of all, you got all these floats that are covered with flowers. And then you got these horses, and they're, and they're spectacular horses. And, uh, and you can see why the, the emperor would want to ride in on, a, on an animal like that. It just is so majestic. But the third thing in any good parade is a marching band, right? And bands will travel from all over the world to come and to march in the Rose Parade. It's, it's a big honor. Now, we have 
a band director in our midst this morning because Burke uh, directs the uh, band at Claremont High School. And uh, so... So I had to double check with Burke this morning just to make sure I got my facts straight. And, uh, and I'm happy I did because I didn't have all of this right. But uh, the person that directs the band while they're marching is not the band director, but the drum major. And I said, well, is the drum major the guy that plays the drum? No, no, no. He doesn't, he called the drum major, but he doesn't play the drum. But he sets the beat for the drum major. And so I've never been in a marching band, so Burke, tell me if I'm right. But my guess is, when you gather a marching band, one of the first things that you've got to do is teach the band to all walk in step, right? A good marching band, every one of them in this picture, the right foot is forward and the left foot is back. You've got to learn to walk in step. And then when you get, to, uh, when you get good at that, then you can play your music while you're marching down the street. But first of all, you've got to learn to hear the beat of the drum and for all of you to walk in step. And the same thing comes, is true for us as Christians. If we enter into Jesus' kingdom, in a sense, we're becoming a part of his marching band. Now, the music that we'll make is the fruit of the Spirit, but even before that begins to take place in our lives, it means that we have first learned to walk according to the beat of his drum. Right after the fruit of the Spirit is listed, Galatians uh, 5.25 says, Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And so how are we going to experience more and more of the fruit of the Spirit in God's kingdom? It means that we're going to learn to keep in step with the Spirit. We're going to learn to hear God's voice, the beat of His drum, and we're going to learn to walk according to the way that He wants us to walk. Now, part of the way that we learn to hear him and to, to keep in step with his spirit is through the reading of his word and through worship and through prayer. And so this morning, on this most holy of weeks, I've included in your program Holy Week Devotions. And I just want to encourage us as a simple application for today's uh, sermon is to follow the Holy Week Devotions this week. And uh, each day is going to, uh, is, you're going to read about what took place on that day during the original Holy Week. And what you're doing is you're learning to listen more clearly to the drumbeat of God. And so it has a scripture, it has a song. You just type in the song to YouTube and you'll, you'll have uh, several videos, and some of which have the words so you can sing along with them. And then it has a prayer prompt. And I encourage you to do this every day this week, either individually or with your family. And it is an opportunity for you to keep in step with the Spirit this week. You see, we want to grow in our faith. We want to grow to become stronger as we, uh, as we seek to line our lives up with Him. It dawned on me a few years ago, and I want to close with this observation. It dawned on me a few years ago that there's three big uh, salvation events in the Bible. The first of which is the exodus out of Egypt. That's the event that the 
that the prophets and the, and the teachers keep going back to to point toward to God's deliverance. And as I was thinking about the exodus out of Egypt, it, uh, here's my observation. It, it dawned on me that that was a victory of parade in a sense. Think about it for a minute. Uh, when Pharaoh said, get out of here, all the people were take, took whatever they wanted and they began to make their way out of Egypt. I would have to imagine that they have never felt freedom like this. They've got a bounce in their step and they're waving goodbye. See you later to the Egyptians. Not going to make me make bricks anymore. Not going to be oppressed by you anymore. It's a victory parade. Now, as they get out of Egypt, Pharaoh has a change of heart and he sends his army to chase them down. And before they could, before they could panic too much, God opens the Red Sea and they walk right through. It's a victory parade. They keep on walking and God's going to eventually lead them to the promised land. The second big salvation event is what we celebrate this week. Jesus' death on the cross and the resurrection. And as we pointed out, this comes with a victory parade as well. But there is a third major salvation event that is yet to come. And that is when Jesus comes back to earth the second time. Because he is coming back. And when he comes back, 1 Thessalonians 4 describes it this way. It says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and with the voice of an archangel and with a trumpet. So there's a band there as well. And with, a trumpet, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive will be left... Uh, our, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will live with the Lord forever. Let me, let me just explain this verse real quick because sometimes there's a misunderstanding about what this is, uh, really means. Uh, when Jesus comes back a second time, he comes back out of the highest heaven, what we've been talking about this morning, and uh, he comes back on the cloud. And as he comes, all the souls of those that have gone on before us come with him. And as he, with, with his army following him, the souls of all the believers and the saints that have gone before us are joined up with their physical bodies, with their resurrected bodies in the clouds. And then all of those that are left catch up to him in the clouds. Now, this is, not a, uh, this is not a catching up to him in the clouds to escape earth. This is a catching up to the clouds to meet Jesus in the air so that we can accompany him back to earth in which he will finally set up his throne once and for all as the king in what the Revelation describes as the New Jerusalem. And he will reign forever. In fact, his glory will be so great there will be no need for a son. And, on, and as he reigns on this earth, heaven, which he brought with him, will be joined with earth and all will be set right once and for all. And this is what, the, what Revelation calls the new heavens and the new earth. And that's an exciting day. That's the day we will look forward to. Do you want to be there on that day? Do you want to be caught up with Jesus in the clouds on that day? I do. 
Now, the way that we want to be in that victory parade is to make sure that we've lined up on the right side of the street right now. In fact, we've got to make sure we're on the right street, that our lives are devoted to him, that we're living in his kingdom. You see, that's what this Palm Sunday is really all about. Jesus is coming into this earth, into the world, into our lives as the king. Now, his kingdom looks far different than the, than the worldly kingdom. The worldly kingdom that is all around us all the time, a, ki- a kingdom that is so caught up with wealth and materialism and status and prestige and all these things, that's what we, ha- that's what we, are, uh, that's what we are saturated with every every moment of every day, but Jesus comes and he offers a spiritual salvation that takes root in our hearts and then gets spread out into the world through those that have been filled with his Holy Spirit. That is Jesus's kingdom. And all those who live in his kingdom are victors because one day we will be caught up with him in the, cl- in the clouds And then just as on Palm Sunday, we will shout our praises, we will celebrate him, and we will accompany him back to this earth as he judges the living and the dead, and we will be welcomed into his kingdom once and for all, for all eternity. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you that you are the king. We thank you that you reign over this world. Today on this Palm Sunday, we celebrate you for who you are, that you have power and authority, and God, now we just bend our knee. We lay down our palm branch, so to speak. We offer our praise to you, and we bend our knee, and we say, God, you are the king of my life. We want to live for you. God, thank you that your kingdom comes with promises. Not promises of worldly wealth or significance or anything like that. Your promises resonate deep within our hearts. God, you give the promise of love and of joy and of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And we pray that as we seek to walk in step with your spirit, that those attributes would take deep root in our hearts, that those would go, be the roots that dig deep into our soul so that our lives begin to bear more and more fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. God, we thank you that you love us so much. We know that we could not do this on our own. We don't even try to attempt to. God, we recognize that this is a gift from you. And so, God, we thank you for what you have done for us. We thank you for the work of the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. And we thank you for the new life that we have through you. As we close the sermon now and prepare to sing our last song, I invite the prayer counselors to come forward. And maybe this morning you just wanna come and receive prayer for anything something weighs heavy on your heart. Maybe, maybe there's, there's something that is stirring within you that keeps you from having the peace and the joy in your heart that you know is God's will for you to have. I invite you to come and to receive prayer. But God, we thank you that you love us so much. We thank you that we can live in your kingdom. 
We thank you for the forgiveness of sins and we thank you for your new life. And we celebrate you today. In Jesus' name.